Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to United Men's, the Finland European Power Rankings podcast, where we talk about the 10 best teams on the continent. Today, as ever, I'm joined with Sean Walsh. How are you, Sean? I'm good, Jack. I'm good. That was a good reading of the spiel that I just sent you. That was <laughs> very confident. Thank you. I was glad because it's such a long uh, name for the podcast that I was like, okay, no. what is it? Is it different European power rankings? Is it just the hardest part of any podcast is the opening because we not no one really cares about the opening. You just got to get into it. But you need to you can't just dive in because it's, it's like an article, basically. You know, we write a lot of articles. You need the opening article, but then no one really reads that if they if it's a quotes piece. You just go to the quotes. No one's going to care about this bit, but you need to do it. It's such an annoyance on my life. Yeah, maybe we should start doing cold opens instead. Maybe just go straight bang and we'll, we'll start at number four and then just... There's no time for intros. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying to rush through. So, Sean, what's the plans this weekend? We're nearing the weekend now, so we are, thank God. Um, I'm at Tottenham versus Crystal Palace this weekend, and as we're speaking, Tottenham did just release plans for if fans wanted to go down and watch the King's coronation. I know that you'll be there. I know that you'll, I'll be, you'll, of course you'll, I'll be there. Huge fan, huge fan. Where else would I be? <laughs> <laughs> no, very much a case of you can if you like, but I won't be there. <laughs> so what? What is the plans they've released? What, what's they just said that the fact there's a fan square that's open outside um, the single tier stand. They said it'll be open there. You, there'll be big screens. There'll be food and drink and stuff. Um, I won't be doing that. I'll be going straight to the press suite to do my work. You know, there's a job. Yeah, to you'll do. be work, working hard, working hard. Stick the yeah. stick the coronation on the radio instead. Just <laughs> yeah. So, you got any plans? I don't. Coronation aside, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Um, I don't. Uh, Derry City are thankfully away from home on Friday night. Uh, they had two home games last week. They played on the Friday night, which they won against St. Mm. Pat's. Two. Oh, yes, you were saying, yeah, yeah. Played really, really well. The best performance of the season by far. And then they played the best team in the country, Shamrock Rovers. They've won the league, I think, three years in a row. They played Demons on Monday night and got absolutely battered. Beat two 0 but thoroughly outplayed. And it wasn't a fun night, so it wasn't. And it was really yeah. hard to get tickets to because Derry City games were really hard to get tickets for, and it wasn't really worth it. I had to get up at like 9 a.m. on a Saturday that I was off to walk to the shop to get the tickets for the game. And yeah, oh not worth it. Not worth it. Will I do it again? Yes, but yes, I you will. <laughs> uh, you know, losing to Shamrock Rovers campus for anyone, Jack. I remember when Tottenham went 1 0 down to them in the Europa League in 2011. <laughs> Shamrock, of the course, the first days. team that Harry Kane scored a Spurs goal against. So. That's that's, that's a fun, that's a really fun stat. It's Life mad that he wasn't stuff. the best player on the pitch that day. It was 
definitely Gary Twig. Him and his he used to wear <laughs> he used to wear two different coloured boots as if he was some sort of good footballer or something. <laughs> you don't have the class for that, my man. Yeah, 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 man. You play in the Irish League. Calm down. Yeah. yeah, but he was a good player for the Irish League. He was good to be fair to him. So, Sean, I think we've done our uh, intro spiel. I think that's done out of the way. Another job so well done. We, yeah, we did well that this week. We pat in the back. We're getting better at this, I feel like. I think we're getting better. Um, so that's out of the way. So let's start off, as we usually do, with teams who've dropped out of the rankings this week, Sean. Yes, I'm very excited to talk about um, one of these teams in particular. That's Real Madrid, um, who were absolutely awful at Real Sociedad on Tuesday night. They lost 2-0, and we will talk about Real Sociedad in a bit. But Real Madrid is on their part. They were resting a lot of players for the Copa del Rey final at the weekend. I understand that. The title is basically gone. They're 13 points behind Barcelona now. It's not going to happen, but just a really kind of pathetic performance you know Mariano Diaz started up front if that's if you if you want to know how seriously Real Madrid yeah. were taking this game that's never a good sign <laughs> no not really sign. no no yeah so along with Simmons and all our big team has dropped out and in Kenneth I don't know for a lot of people it might not be funny but there was an element of comedy to what happened on mm. Sunday I feel like mm. with this football club and it's Napoli so uh we'll talk about uh enter later on in the podcast maybe way later there's a wee spoiler for you um but enter beat lazio 3-1 on sunday morning one of those half 11 in the morning kickoffs in syria that we all know and love they won that game and they gifted napoli the chance to win their first syria title since 1990 at their own stadium in front of their own fans against a pretty Pretty bad, Salernitana. They've they've been unbeaten for a wee while, but it's not to say they're you know, it's not to say they're Inter or Lazio or AC Milan or Roma or any of the big proper good teams in the league. This is a good game for them to go and try and win the title. Felt like the perfect game for them is to go and just have a bit of crack against Salernitana, thump them, have like the victory parade. Napoli fans had. Everything set. They had like wee volcanoes of flares and all outside the ground. I don't know if it you've seen those. Well, yeah, the paper mache volcanoes yeah. and stuff. They had air, the works. They had everything you think of. They had going, and they went one up as well. So that was even better. And then the eighty-third minute, they conceded, and they drew the game one-one. And they didn't win the league title. And now they have to go to Udinese this weekend to try to win it instead. And a game against Udinese is much harder than a game against Salernitana. So. We might have it on hold for a wee while longer, but I don't know if you've seen the the post match reactions from particularly like the kids. Have you seen the video of the kids going I mad? Uh, so there's like videos going around of all these children who were all like gunning for Napoli to win the league, and <laughs> some some one of their parents videoed them uh, all crying and going crazy after the game because they lost and one of the kids was just like ripping up blue sheets of paper for ages crying his eyes out so there there was that so because of all that they had the drop out you can't make kids cry and expect to be in the top 10 best teams in europe it doesn't happen that's a great so, line Sean, actually <laughs> yeah stick out in a quote stick out in a quote yeah so sean one more team to drop out and he is that uh, it's our favourite boys. It's Bayer Leverkusen who just couldn't stay in it for more than one week at a time. They 
you know what? It was actually a respectable nil-nil draw at Union Berlin. But if Leverkusen wanted to kind of revive their faint hopes of reaching the top four, it's probably a game they needed to win. They have a lot more pedigree than Union Berlin, even though they are third in the Bundesliga right now. They look, they're quite close to Champions League qualification themselves, but it felt like this was a real missed opportunity for Leverkusen to get a statement win. Um, we did report on 90 this week that um, Xabi Alonso is indeed a target for Tottenham. So that's always exciting. We were very excited when that came through our inbox. Big time. Yeah. What, what do you What do you think then, Sean? Would you take him? It would be such a risk. I think let's let's not I'm not downplaying what he's done because he's done an unbelievable job at Leverkusen. We didn't realize till we did research last week that they were actually in the relegation zone when he took over, mm. and now they're a few points off the top four. They're into the semi-finals of the Europa League. They have a big challenge there. If they were to get through Mourinho and say if they were to win the Europa League, maybe I think that might be actually be enough to think, you know what, that is someone worth giving a chance to. But yeah. I don't know if he'd be my top candidate. I think he'd, I'm fine with him being third or fourth. I think that right now, Julian Nagelsmann would be my number one of the realistic options available. But I think there's a good reason why he's in contention, at least. It would just be a matter of if you really make this kind of gamble, you really have to be patient with it and stick by him. Yeah. I don't know if Spurs are going to do that, even though they preach that they will. He can be filed under fun candidates for the Tottenham mm. job. And I think that's yes. a nice wee cabinet to be filed under because Tottenham, as you know yourself, has a particularly <laughs> fun football club in the past. No, like, it's not. How many years? Yeah, yeah. So it's nice, it'd be nice to have someone fun, at least. Yeah. And I, did, I did tweet this um, just before we started recording. The interesting kind of wrinkle to this is that he's really good friends with Mikel Arteta of Arsenal. So be a bit of fun and rivalry there. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Is that a good or bad thing? We'll find out. Hopefully we'll find out next year. I do actually really want him to get the job. I think it'd be really fun. Just a suave guy, you know? He is. He's, he's a good looking man. We, we can yeah. do that. Uh, we've ranked the best dressed. Oh, he goes straight to the top. That'd be really good, He's actually. Straight yeah. to the top. Straight to the top. Yeah. I wonder who mm. was first the last time. I think I put Pep there. I think it just it's probably Pep. Pep. Yeah. It definitely wasn't Scott Parker. I remember him being in and being like twentieth. Yeah, we did it because Scott Parker wore that kind of weird bulletproof gilet thing to a game, yeah. and I was like, I have I an idea. Was he, it, <laughs> was he wearing it with? I think he was wearing it with khakis or something. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise just, me. It's not a good look. It's not a good look, no. people. So, Sean, will we crack on uh, and do this top 10 then? And... Yes, let's go. Okay, so first up, we have a new entry, which is always exciting. I think it's exciting anyways. Mm. Uh, we have Marseille. And I think this Rogue. is the first time. Yeah, I think this is the first time Marseille have been in the Power Rankings all year, even on the, the written side of things, I well, think. Yeah, how long have we been doing this written? Have they historically been in it? I can't remember a time where they've been good I enough to remember. be in it. I know, but I think we've been doing it for like, I think this is coming up to the end of the fifth season we've been doing it. So I don't remember them being in it. I don't remember talking about them or writing about them before. <laughs> no harm to Marseille, but they just haven't been a great team for quite a while. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. But anyways, they've, they they look like a pretty good team right now. They look a pretty mm-hmm. good team right now. They're unbeaten in their last eight league out games. They beat Ozer at the weekend. They beat Leon last weekend. And they're now, because of how bad PSG are, mm. and I watched them on Sunday, they played uh, Lorient, and they got beat at home by Lorient, and they got well beaten as well. They were completely outplayed in the game. Um, because of those results, they're now five points behind PSG in the league. And I feel like 
having watched that PSG team, I feel like if you can't win the league when you're up against this current PSG team, I know they have Mbappe, I know they have, have Messi. Well, they'll not have Messi for a few weeks, but they'll have him against <laughs> him. Um, I know they have those players, but for how badly they're playing, I feel like it would be such an indictment on Liga if no one can like really actively challenge them. And it feels like Marseille are building up a bit ahead of steam, and it feels like they could challenge until the end of the season, and hopefully they do it. I think it'd be quite fun if they really do it. They have really highly rated young manager, Igor Tudor, uh, used to be assistant at Juventus uh, a few years ago. I was going to say, yeah, it, there were links beyond just being a player, weren't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was assistant a few years ago. I think he was assistant maybe 2020, I think, maybe. Um, and he's there's very high hopes for him. I know a lot of Juventus fans are quite keen uh, to have him as the next manager. And whenever Allegri probably likely gets fired or moves in our role, we, we talked about it on the website. Um, recently, we published a report about Juventus looking at moving Allegri upstairs in the director of football role. And uh, Tudor oh, could be the perfect kind of manager to come in and slot in uh, underneath him. And, you know, maybe he doesn't have like all the experience in the world, but can, can learn some stuff off uh, Allegri and also provide a bit of a new perspective as well. Um, I think one of the main things they probably talk about with Marseille is how bloody old their team is <laughs> and how they're relying on these old guys to pull through for them, which is not really something you would expect for a team like this. You, you would usually expect a team who's challenging a, say, like a Bayern Munich or a PSG or something they have to be built off, you know, really good youth scouting all these young players coming through and coming good at the right time. It's not really the case for Marseille. Their best player this season has been Alexis Sanchez, for example, who scored 13 goals so far this season. He scored the winner at the weekend, and he's been fantastic for them and putting them performances that at this point in his career you probably don't expect. Yeah. Um, it's, it is strange because, you know, Ligue 1 brands itself as, quote-unquote, the League of Talents, and Marseille just might open up a title fight with all these old geezers walking about. Um, I love Alexis Sanchez as a player. Um, I think he, the United Spurs side, he's had a pretty decent end to his career. You know, he was part of the team that helped um, into win the Scudetto. Uh, he obviously had those many years at Arsenal where he was their best player. Now he's at Marseille and he's proven he's still got something left in him. Um, I think the interesting thing for Marseille will be they have a big game against third place Lons this weekend. If they get through that, then you, that is probably the last big test they'll have for, for the end of the season. Now, you mentioned about Messi. He's not available. He's out for two weeks with a suspension because he made an unauthorised trip to Saudi Arabia for some reason. And now it's certain that he's going to leave the club at the end of the year. All it takes is one more PSG slip-up and Marseille to win, and they are within striking distance. And that is very much on the table now. Yeah, when you consider the teams that have beat PSG this season, I think PSG have actually, yeah, they've actually lost more games than Marseille this season. They've lost six, wow. and Marseille have lost five, which is mad, like crazy. Um, and they're up against Trois, uh, Ajaxio, Ozaire, Strasbourg, and Clermont Foot. Like on paper, you expect PSG to beat all those teams, but also on paper, you'd expect them to beat Lorient at the weekend. Exactly, so, that's my thinking. Yeah, they can they can they can be beaten in those games. So I don't expect it to be one of those situations where Marseille won't have an opportunity to get closer to PSG. It's just whether or not they take that opportunity when it comes. Hmm. 
Should we move on to number nine? Yes, Sean. And uh, this is a team you watched the weekend and were very, yep. very high about when we were chatting the other day about them. Yeah, so I briefly touched on it in the teams that dropped out. I'm talking about Real Sociedad, who smashed up Real Madrid on Tuesday. They only won 2-0. Um, I think the scoreline was very, very, very lenient on Real Madrid because they were second best throughout. Um, it, Real Sociedad seemed to press them into so many errors. They were, had, they were full of energy. But the thing that reached out to me is that they were full of this energy, but the one leading that press, the one leading the charge, the one making everything tick was David Silva, who's about 50 years old right now. I was, I, I completely forgot that he was still there. I didn't realise that he was still not just there, but a key player. And he was he was getting Tony Cruz to run around. Tony Cruz eventually got subbed off when Real Madrid went down to 10 men because Danny Carvajal was just being a bit petulant and you know a more cynical man than I would say that he just wanted to get out of there because this was the atmosphere sounded incredible. Real Sociedad really up for it because Villarreal drew at Valencia last night. They are essentially secured a top four spot. It'll be their first Champions League run. When was that last Champions League run? I, th- I know they went. They were in 2013-14, but have they been on one more recently than that? I'm trying to think. Oh, I don't think they have. I don't think they were. Because remember that year, a few years ago, where Isaac had that brilliant season? Yeah, uh, yeah. Before he had that tail off last year. I don't think they were in the Champions League around that time. I think they were in um, the Europa League at that time, but I don't think they were in the Champions League. They always seem to play They United. certainly didn't make a splash anyways. Yeah, yeah. So this will be their first kind of venture back into it. Um, other players that impressed me, Taki Kubo scored the opener um, against his mm. old club. He was he was full of electricity all night. And I think he got linked to Real Madrid again the next day by the Spanish media. Um, <laughs> Alexander Sornloff, Crystal Palace flop. Crystal Palace um, legend. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Depends where you're looking at it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it's all subjective. Um, I thought that he was, he didn't score, but he made so much tick. He was He was pressing as well. He held the ball up really well. He brought others into play, like Mikel Arthabal. Um, and Ebron Zaya came off the bench and he scored the clinching goal. But he was just at the heart of everything. And I was really impressed by Sociedad. And I thought, if that's an atmosphere they can recreate, if that those energy levels can be recreated in the Champions League, then they might be able to make a splash next season. But this, it seems like they're going to be very deserving of this top four finish. We spoke before about Villarreal on this pod, but I was just so impressed with Sociedad on Tuesday. Yeah, their new stadium as well is just amazing. So it is. Well, not new, but I, they renovated it. It's so cool. I, yeah, I I enjoy when these European clubs like kind of move to English models where they like they knock down stands bit by bit and remove running tracks or whatever they have and just move the stands closer. Yeah, it looks so much better. And also, like the amount of teams down the years in European leagues, I think Juventus are probably the main one, the prime mm-hmm. example of it. Who. Uh, moved away out into the middle of nowhere when they built a new ground at uh, Delhi Alpi um, in the early 90s. And it just makes such a big difference. So it does the atmosphere and how difficult it is to get the grounds and stuff. So <laughs> yeah, doing exactly. that instead such a better idea. Yeah. Uh, so, Sean, we move on to number eight. We do. We, we, we come back to Arsenal, who are. We decided we decided to keep them at eight. We thought maybe they go up for beating Chelsea, go down because they just aren't that impressive. Decided to stay. I think that's quite a, quite a fair option, you know. Yeah. The winless run is over, but well done, you beat Chelsea. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just not. <laughs> it's the caveat. <laughs> yeah, it's just Chelsea are so bad that it's not that impressive to beat Chelsea. Like I if think... you're going to move him, 
Arsenal up for beating Chelsea, then you're moving every team up every single week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the telling thing about that fixture was that I know a lot of pessimistic Arsenal fans who, even going into the games against like West Ham, were like, "No, this is we're not winning today." They were all so so confident that they were going to smash Chelsea, and they were right. They were right to think that way because we could talk about Chelsea forever, but just horrendous team. And Arsenal at least did their job. They knew that they had to win. to Because I think there was a sense that if they did not beat Chelsea, then their season could really unravel at quite a rapid rate and become quite sour and toxic again, even after the incredible year they've had. 100%. And it just it feels like, look, I don't think they're going to win the league now. They are back top of the league, but... No, they're not. Here. Are they not back? Oh, yeah. Man City won, won last night. Yeah, yeah. They won last night. I forgot about that. So, not even that anymore. <laughs> They're not even there anymore. So, like, City are obviously going to win the league. It feels like it feels like City <laughs> will win every game from now until the end of the season. It just, I can't imagine them losing to anyone in the world right now. But if Arsenal can go out and kind of match them for the rest of the season and win the rest of their games and put on good performances and stuff, even if you come second, you'll be going into the summer with a bit more of a positive light. Whereas if you had a drop points, like you said, against Chelsea and had a bit of an unraveling, and yes, they'll finish second, but finish second with like 10, 15 points less than Man City, then you go into the summer with a slightly more pessimistic view of um, where Arsenal are going long-term. But yeah, if Arsenal are going to just continue in the same vein that they showed against Chelsea um, this midweek and go out and win games consistently from now until the end of the season. They're probably not going to win the Premier League, like I said, but you'll go into the summer and think, yeah, there's a bit of hope for a similar performance the season after. Yeah, and it's a big if, but if they do win all their remaining games, they will finish on 90 points. I think the big if there is because they play Newcastle this weekend and I can't envision them winning at St. James's Park. Uh, it just doesn't compute in my brain. But if they were yeah. to win there, then it sets them up nicely to go into their last three games. They got Brighton at home next, which is also a tough one. And then away to Forest, who might still be fighting for survival, and that might be a big game at the city ground. And then but they end at home to Wolves, which feels like the biggest gimme of all. So there is you know, if Arsenal finish on at least if they get to eighty five at least, then that's that's really impressive. So I remember I, I hate having to <laughs> relate everything back to Spurs, but when we finished with eighty six points to sixteen seventeen, it's like how many points? When you get to those tallies, it means you're kind of you are a serious team, you're going places. It feels weird we're at a point in football where those tallies aren't enough to win a title anymore. Yeah, yeah. Because just, of Man City. Yeah, that's just the kind of the machine of it. And I think a lot over the last few weeks, you know, Arsenal fans have been sympathizing a lot with Liverpool for their own title runs. You know, Liverpool came second with ninety seven and then second last year in ninety two, and it's just like most other years that's enough to win it by miles it's a, it's a complete joke the way that City run the league now and we'll talk about them in a bit later yeah we will indeed we will indeed we'll, we'll move on to number 7 here anyways and it's fun another uh, it's a fun one indeed and it's a re-entry and a team who's scoring an outrageous amount of goals this week so many goals so many goals so, uh, it's still it's still surprising despite yeah <laughs> having like kept an eye on them for so many weeks because of the series it's still surprising seeing them score this many goals. So it's Atletico Madrid back in because in the last two in the last week, in the last two games, they've scored five goals in both games. 
They beat Real Valladolid 5-2 at the weekend, and then they followed that up with a 5-1 win against Cadiz uh, last night. And that those two wins have been enough to see Atleti jump up to second in La Liga. Still a million miles away from Barcelona, yes, but they leapfrog Real Madrid at this point in the season with the fact that Real Madrid are Champions League semi-finalists, uh, Champions League holders, have some of the best players in the world, are looking probably going to get another one of the best players in the world very, very soon in Jude Bellingham. It's mm. nice that Atletico can feel like they have something from this season if they finish second because obviously they're not going to win anything this year, but just it's a good platform to build off um, for next season and, and beyond having went out and finished ahead of Real Madrid in the league and finish as strongly as they have this season for the last, what, two, three months. They've been one of the better teams in Europe, uh, hence why they've, we've talked about them so many times. <laughs> and it just it feels like they're really building a bit of momentum and building a squad again that looks capable. I think a lot of those players kind of broke down um, from when they were in the Champions League final and stuff, like it felt like, I think probably yeah. the prime example is probably Sal Niguez, who they were banking on being their best player potentially ever, uh, <laughs> such was the hype around them. And players like that just kind of broke down over time, but they've finally been able to combat that and find players who can fit in and play well in spite of that. And I think one of the main ones is probably Rodrigo de Paul who has been exceptional since he's come back from the World Cup. And there was a lot of talk earlier in the season about Atleti trying to sell him and wanting to sell him by any means necessary, essentially. Um, Would you remember his first few games at the World Cup? Yeah, he was... (laughs) He was corporate, like, cussed or something. Yeah, he was awful, so he was. Yeah, different player now, yeah. Nothing, different player, yeah. And he looks, he looks, he's been brilliant, so he has. And I think think what we've talked about a lot um, is the Griezmann kind of, resurrection of Griezmann I feel like a lot of um, Atletico's story this year has been resurrections of these players who Mm. we know are good we know can do something but maybe had like a lull of like 18 months they weren't so good and Griezmann at Paul are perfect examples of that and they're probably been their two best players in the past four or five months and Sean speaking (laughs) of their best players I think it's time I think it's time we checked in on uh, Mr. Matt Doherty and seen just how much football he's played over the past week. How many I'm hoping, I'm hoping that he's played. He surely <sighs> must have got a run out of one of these games. I know the Valladolid they scored a couple of late goals there, so maybe it wasn't as close as the scoreline um, suggests. But they were battering Cadiz the whole time. Surely he came on that game. Guess what, Sean? He came on. He came on. He, he came, came on. on. Our boys on. <laughs> He yeah. got four minutes of football last night and he got a rating on who scored of 5.98, which I like to think out of six and he had a brilliant game. <laughs> <laughs> so now for the season at Atletico Madrid, he's gone up from that 12 minutes, which he was on for, I want to say four months. He's now up the 16 minutes of La Liga football. <laughs> Congratulations, Matt Doherty. He's broke the 15-point mark. He's right there in the shop window. Surely they have to sign him now. Surely they have to sign him. Useful squad player, you know. Just happy to be there. Yeah, nice. Get him, get him a run round. 
whenever you're one and five one, bring Matt Doherty on to sure things up just to make sure you don't concede. <laughs> yeah. It's the right way to go. It's the right way to go. But congratulations, Matt Doherty. Anyways, we're rooting for you to uh hopefully get a start before the end of the season. I imagine Matt Doherty started for Alpha Go Madrid. Let me just let me check their fixtures quickly. Have they got any big ones? Like is there like a Madrid Derby or anything? No. They got quite some simple games. They got Real Sociedad and VRL for the last two. Maybe maybe he gets one there. I hope maybe. he does. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully nice. they've wrapped up second place by then and they're just playing guys for the crack. And if you want to play a guy for the crack, look yeah. no further than Mr. Matt Doherty. Well, they do play three at the back now, so it makes more sense for him to actually come into this team. It's not as if they're playing flat back 4 4 2 and he can't do the role. Yeah, he's perfect as a wing back. Perfect. Mm. Yeah. So after that great news, Sean, let's move on to number six and maybe some not great news. news. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so down four this week and down for very very last minute because full disclosure they were second um on wednesday when we were originally doing these rankings and then they went and drew with cremonense one one last night and that is of course ac milan who we were quite impressed actually with um their performance during the weekend when they played as roma came back scored a last minute equalizer at stadio olympico against a pretty informed and pretty decent roma team and then they went and followed it up with a draw with Cremonense. And that means that they've actually only accumulated two points against Cremonense all season, which is really quite staggering. And it's, it's a result. It's not great at all. It's not great at all. And it's a result and results, which has meant that they've dropped down to sixth in the league table. And the league table is super, super tight. Um, mm. Their level uh, with fifth place Atalanta on 58 points, and then just right above them is Inter. And then Juventus are up at 63 points, but maybe take 15 points off that um, for future reference. Maybe take 25 points off that for future reference. We're not sure yet. We'll find Wait, out soon Ro- enough. Are Roma 7th then? Roma are 7th, yeah. They're also Woo-hoo! on 58 points as well. I'm not saying anything. The Morning Easters might be listening. But... <laughs> <laughs> but They've yeah. also drawn their last two games as well. So they have, have, yeah, they have, yeah. Because mm-hmm. we were talking about them as could they go in and just, we decided against it. I didn't realise they were seventh. So, yeah, definitely out of my thinking. Um, that is a really good race. I'm really going to be interested to watch how that race pans out at the end of the year, the top four race in Serie A. But, yeah. You know, we did talk yesterday. You're right. This happens every week. We talk about a team. Oh, yeah, they've been good. Let's put them high up. And then when it comes around to recording on the Thursday, it's, oh, they're crap again. Great. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we were, we were impressed with Milan. Like, when I saw, I saw the notification that um, Tammy Abraham had scored the 93rd minute goal for Roma, and I thought, that is just Roma all over. That's the story of Mourinho being there, getting these last minute winners. Um, and it just felt almost like a sense of inevitability. And you get another one, it says Salamakas has equalised the 97th. It's like, oh, wow, okay. You know, fair enough, showing your metal there. So, yeah, we're disappointed in Milan. Um, and we'll talk, and to we'll, be fair to them, to be yeah. fair to them, um, they also did score a last-minute equaliser uh, at San Siro on Wednesday night to Junior Messi has scored in the 93rd minute. But... It's just less impressive. Than it's not the same. Robot. It's not the same. Cremonese are like second bottom in the league. Pretty pretty definitely relegated. Mm. And you should be beating those teams, especially if you're a Champions League semi-finalist. Or you are technically a top four team in Europe. You probably should be beating Cremonese. I love it. I love it when we do that. That's really <laughs> top four team in Europe. 
<laughs> it's the only it's the only way to rank them outside of these rankings. You know, it's the only official way to do it. That's it why it's anyway. that's why the big bosses want the Super League, so they have a more official way to do it. And I'm telling them, no, you don't have the vibes that we do. Yeah, no, you don't need an official way. You have the Champions League, and you have us, and that's fine. <laughs> that's all you need. That's all you need. That's, that's all you need. need. But yeah, we'll talk a bit about Milan's Champions League hopes a bit later in the contrast with Inter, but not been a good day for them. Not at all. Not at all. Will we move on to another team who's not had a great day recently, Sean? Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about this. Um, it's Borussia Dortmund. You know, we showered them in so much praise when we did this last week. They were top of the Bundesliga with five games to go. All they had to do was just win their games or match Bayern Munich's pace and they would be the champions of Germany. It was in their hands. So what do they do, Jack? They go and draw 1-1 away at local rivals Bochum. Because of course they did, and I was, you know, I wasn't following it live necessarily, but I was kind of keeping an eye on it, and it did seem like it was this was typical Borussia Dortmund finding a way to throw it, throw it away and give it back to Bayern. Looking back at the highlights and looking at kind of the stats and stuff, it does seem like as if this was quite harsh on Dortmund because Bochum went ahead in the fifth minute. Borussia Dortmund basically equalised from that kickoff, so. You know, back to it's basically nil nil for eighty five minutes or so, and then there's the controversy where Borussia Dortmund should have had a stonewall penalty. I think it was it Karim Adeyemi that got brought down. Yes, got, it was. I think was it, it was. I, I watched no, no. it earlier this it was, morning because yeah. you were talking about it, and oh my god, like yeah. <laughs> unbelievable! Yeah, it's, it wasn't it's, so if you yeah, so if you're not if you haven't seen it, yet, please go watch it. I'll describe it. So. The, the ball comes into the box like a low cross. The Dortmund attacker goes to control it. His legs get swiped by a Bochum defender. Nowhere near the ball. Does not get the ball. It's completely out of his vicinity. The penalty is not given. And the crazy thing is, VAR doesn't give it either for some reason. We'll come on to that. But then um, the DFB referees committee wrote to Dortmund saying that that was an error, that that should have been a penalty in the last minute for a game that could cost them the title. This could cost them the title, Jack. That's how big this is. But the the thing that I read is that the implication of this is VAR didn't overturn it because they thought the decision was so bad that it didn't need to be overturned. It was like, it was, it kind of gone full circle on itself in that the only reason he couldn't have given it is because he thought he clearly saw it, and that's the reason this stone wall was not given it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off. My rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Like, what am I reading? It was mad. It reminded me of, um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, 
the year Juventus were up against Inter for the Serie A title, and I yeah. want to say it was 98. I think it was 98. And there was a tackle in the box on Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. And he uh, is in the box, on the left-hand side of the box, and he cuts out, and he just gets completely swiped. Like, the ball's nowhere near in the same fashion. <laughs> the ball's, like, two yards away, and he just gets completely cleaned. And yeah. the referee didn't give it. And it kind of felt like that, where it was like, in what world can you not see that as a penalty kick? Like, how? Yeah. what were you looking Were you, like, looking somewhere else at that time like what were you doing were you checking your watch or something like how you missed that <laughs> it don't make any sense so yeah they were a team that i think we were i think in a normal week when that sort of thing happens where dortmund you're in the driving seat match Bayern for the rest of the season you won the league and then you do what dortmund have done a lot over the past what five ten years uh kind of bottle it <laughs> on paper we would normally drop them down to maybe ninth or 10th or something. But because of how egregious and this, how terrible that was, that decision, we kind of had to just drop them down the two instead because yeah. we felt kind of bad for it's, them as well. It's utterly egregious, the state of this officiating, that I can't, I just can't believe it. I can't, like, if it were, put it this way, if it happened in England, if it happened to a team like who have quite kind of active fan base on Twitter, like Arsenal or something, if it happened to them, there would be so many conspiracy theories flying around. And mm-hmm. I would be very shocked if that's not what's happening in Germany right now. Yeah, yeah. They, they probably are. We just can't read them because they're in German. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I think, uh, you know, blue scan it for Dortmund. Bayern are quite bad. Mm. So in a regular season, you might think, okay, like this one bad result might cost you a league. It's the sort of thing that maybe... Pep's Bayern. If that happened against Pep's Bayern, you might finish 20 points behind because you dropped. Yeah, there's no points. chance. Yeah. Whereas Bayern this season, pretty bad. They won at the weekend, but hadn't won in their last two Bundesliga games before that. And they also Quite late as well against a really bad Hertha Berlin team. They didn't score until like the 70th minute. Yeah, and Hertha are, we can't stress bad. it, really bad. <laughs> And, you know, coming up, they do have some tricky-looking games. They're playing Werder mm-hmm. away um, on Saturday, and then they're playing Schalke at home. And I know Schalke are really bad, but it feels like a sort of game Schalke might get themselves up for, and they are right in the thick of the relegation battle. They're only, I think they're a point adrift of safety. So I do think, that... I, wonder, I wonder if their fans would prefer relegation or to help rivals Dortmund win the league, though. <sighs> Obviously, there's no, there's no bearing on the game. The players don't care about that, but... If you were, if it was a Spurs situation, what would you prefer? (laughs) Someone asked, someone has asked me this this season. Would you rather Spurs? If would you take Spurs getting relegated so that Arsenal didn't win the league? I I was, I didn't, you know, I did think to myself, you know, a year in the Championship will probably win a lot of games. (laughs) I have to say, you talk yourself into it. Really fun. Like we were talking, I was talking to um, Dan, our social editor, one day about mm. he's a Southampton fan, and we were talking about because um, Derry City were also in the second division for a while. They got um, they got relegated for giving players two contracts, one under the table, one over the table. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> <laughs> they were in the second division that year, and it was great. Like it's just nice seeing your team win so many games. And Dan was also saying that the season that Southampton were in League One. 
Um, that was like his favorite season as a football fan because Southampton were just steamrolling teams all the time. So if Tottenham went down, you know, you get that trophy for Kane, um, and he also won <laughs> a boatload of games. It's it's in a lot of ways it would be a one-one. Maybe Schalke fans aren't thinking that way, but you know, different different horses for different courses. But anyways, <laughs> after after the Schalke game, then they have uh, RB Leipzig at home. This is the big one for me. That's the big one. Yeah, I can see fighting for the top four as well. Yeah, that's the sort of that's the sort of game that this Bayern team don't win. Whereas a few years ago, that's the sort of game that they won five one. Mm. Um, and then they finish up the season, I think, against away at Cologne. Cologne, yeah, safely mid table. Yeah, uh, but also that'll be um, Jonas Hector's last game um, for Cologne. Right up for the- that. <laughs> They'll be right up for that movie, you know. <laughs> we're we're clutching at that point. We are clutching at that point, but you never know. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Jonas Hector is retiring. He's retiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They announced it recently, so they did. And he's only thirty-two. I was going to say, yeah, I thought he's like links Liverpool like a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. He's he's been there. Yeah, he's been Cologne for like what ten years or so. I want to say. Yeah. Um well, and yeah, yeah. He's he announced he's retiring there recently, so they did. Unless it was some sort of joke. Maybe it was on April Fool's Day at the nice to believe. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely seen it somewhere. <laughs> we, we got to do some quick research on this. Yeah. Let's see. Let's look at the retirement bit of the podcast, but Yeah. No, he has. He has. It wasn't an April Fool's Day. It was on it was the second of April. And he's yeah, he's retiring at the end of the season, so yes. Fair, Which is surprising, fair. but you know, it, he might get them up for it. They might be like, okay, when you give Hector a good sending off, and you know, you never know, you never know. Um, so Sean, we'll move away from uh the Bundesliga, um, no more big spoiler permanently for the rest of the podcast. Um, <laughs> we're moving, we're moving back over to England and we're moving over to a team who um isn't going down in the rankings, they're going up in the rankings, they're up one this week. And it's Newcastle United. And they're up again. Look, they only beat Southampton. Um, that's not, as we said, that's not that impressive. But, you know, it feels like that's the sort of game that you can maybe slip up in. A lot of top six teams have kind of slipped up against Southampton this season. And the fact that they were able to really kind of comfortably beat them uh, thanks to two goals again from Cal Wilson, who's been incredible recently. I think he scored yeah. five goals in his last three games for Newcastle. I, let me just check because I saw it the other day. Yeah, he's up to 15 Premier League goals this season. That's like, it's it's one of those ones where you don't think about that it's happening, but when you actually yeah. look up the numbers, he's that's, just yeah. he's so consistently that's, scoring. That's, more, that's now more than Ollie Watkins. Mad. Mad. Maybe we should have put Ollie Watkins in the player rankings. Maybe we should have put Callum Wilson ahead of him, sorry. <laughs> Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like Newcastle are quite solidly the third best team in the league at this point. And it feels like mm. there's going to be a lot of a race um, for that fourth place position. But despite teams being like points-wise relatively close to Newcastle, it doesn't feel like anyone has the capability of catching Newcastle in that third place yeah, and I think we talked about it earlier. New um, Arsenal go to Newcastle at the weekend. I am now in a position where I would be shocked if Newcastle don't win that game. You know, everything is just in their favour. They're on such a good run. Um, the home advantage they got is probably one of the best in the league. And um, we've talked before. We think that's going to be a big thing in Europe. 
I to have that kind of advantage. They they just I can't believe how just professional they've become. You know, they have the best defensive record in the league. But it's not like we talked about with Wilson and Isak. It's not as if they're eking out one 0 wins. They are properly going into these games and smashing them. I know they did. They went behind Stamps, didn't they? They went a goal down. Yes. But ultimately, they did deserve their three goals, and they probably could have got more. I think. <laughs> just checking now, four point three eight xG. So to get only three actual goals from that is quite, but it's quite an underperformance. My so, God, yeah, jeez. And still, only four losses this season. The Prem, four losses from thirty-three games. Yeah, and only twenty-seven goals conceded as well. Yeah. Which to put in context, that's twelve less than Arsenal have conceded this season. Yeah, really, which impressive. is remarkable. Good. Look, I know they scored a lot less goals than Arsenal, yes, but they scored a lot recently, and it feels like next season. And they had that lull period where they weren't really scoring goals post Christmas. But since Isaac's come back, and since they found that um, partnership between Callum Wilson and Isaac. It feels like this team's going to go out next season and not really have those lulls in form as much as they've maybe had this season uh, once mm. they build up a bigger and more talented squad as well. So yeah, definitely one they watch for a long time. Sorry? You're going to see them on the last day of the season, aren't you? You're very excited for that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, hopefully Potts will be there to see Chelsea as well. <laughs> <laughs> Hope not. <laughs> So back over to Spain now, Sean. We have an R re-entry and a pretty high re-entry at that. Mm. It's Barcelona, top of La Liga. They've won the last two games after some really weird results. They lost at Real Vallecano last week, but they bounced back and they beat Real Betis 4-0. Admittedly, Real Betis did have 10 men for a lot of that game, but it just kind of toyed with them. It was like they were able to bring on Lamine Yamal as their youngest ever player in La Liga. He's still only 15. Um, just just torched them, really. And then on Tuesday night, they beat Osasuna 1-0. Again, against a team of 10 men for a, a long stretch. Osasuna, who were playing in the Copa del Rey final this weekend, rested a lot of players. But put up a good fight. Barcelona did open up a few occasions. There was, there was some really, really bad finishing in this game. Like I wasn't really... I came away kind of wondering... Is it just going to be one of those days? But um, Jordi Alba scored a really late winner. And it does mean now, because Real Madrid lost at Real Sociedad later that day, Barcelona can win La Liga at Rivals Espanol next weekend, provided yeah. that Real Madrid don't screw up again against Getafe before that. It feels like this uh, revitalization of Barca is so obviously um, because of Pedri coming back. The full fitness. He was really good, yeah, in these games. Yeah, he was really good. He's just been he's such he's been such a difference maker for that team this season. He feels like Gavi's an incredible footballer as well, but out of the two, it feels like Pedri's the more creative one and Gavi's the more hard working one. Yeah. And without Pedri in that midfield, there is a bit of a lack of creativity um further up the pitch. And one of the greatest things about Barca this season, the one reason why they've been so able to eke out these 1-0 wins and stuff and be clinical in front of goal in games that maybe they're not playing that well in. I've seen plenty of Barcelona games this season where they haven't been impressive, but one chance yeah. has fallen to them and they've scored. And it's usually come from a moment of quality from Pedri and Pedri's um, link-up play with Lewandowski. I think you see Lewandowski's step performances all this season have kind of been exactly when Pedri's either not been in the team or 
only came on as a sub or whatever. And if he's like moving forward, obviously you want Pedri to be there all the time. But with the injury concerns that he's had over the past 18 months to two years, it feels like they probably do need to go out and find like a Pedri light somewhere so mm. that there isn't such a stark drop off in performances when Pedri's not fully fit. Yeah, the thing I've noticed about Pedri, particularly in the Osuna game, is that he's kind of added this cross from the half space a la Kevin De Bruyne, Christian Eriksen, those kind mm-hmm. of players. Like he's really, really starting to perfect that. And I just think if you can add that, if you've got a, a striker like Robert Lewandowski in the box, that's going to, you're going to rack up some assists faster, which is quite. I saw a stat, which is he doesn't get a lot of assists. I'm quickly going to double check what is, is. He has only ever got. Four assists in La Liga over the last three seasons. That is insane for someone who is clearly really creative, clearly makes everything tick, clearly can get into advanced areas and have those kind of bits of link up. That is quite astonishing. I'm really surprised that it's that low because he is obviously really good. Yeah, those must be those pre assists, those pesky mm, pre assists. Yeah, he yeah. must be full of pre assists. Yeah, because it feels like everything that ever happens in attacking sense comes through him or starts with mm. him so it does with Barcelona so it is strange maybe he's getting maybe Rafinha's taking all the credit out wide <laughs> playing him a great ball and he's squaring yeah. up the 11 dice maybe it's that uh, but yeah Pedri he's just incredible and um, I, I hope in general that he can stay a bit fitter next season he got injured at a really bad time for Barcelona this season mm. particularly the Copa del Rey um, semi-finals when you consider how well Barca played against uh, Real Madrid in those Supercopa games yeah. uh, just post post Christmas. The difference in quality between that team that beat Real Madrid pretty handily in the Supercopa in comparison to the team that got thumped at Camp Nou by Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey semi-final second leg. The big difference there is the fact that Pedri's not on that team and can't dictate play and control possession and stuff and match up the players like Modric because I don't think any other player at Barcelona can match up the any of the Real Madrid midfielders other than mm. Pedri probably. Mm. Yeah, he's the perfect kind of fit for the way they want to play. Yeah. So over the Italy now, Sean, and up five, and full disclosure, taking the place that Milan were supposed to be in until they mm. drew with Cremonense last night. It is Inter, and they are up there because they finally started to show their cup football form in the league. They've done it by one in three Serie A games on the bounce, and they followed up a really, really, really impressive performance against Lazio that we spoke of earlier. They beat Lazio 3-1 on Sunday at San Siro. They were getting beat 1-0 scored three late goals, uh, Latara Martinez with two of them. They go and beat uh, Lazio and give Napoli an opportunity once Serie A, which they dutifully and hilariously squandered <laughs> on Sunday. They followed that up with another really, really impressive performance and win over uh, a decent Hellas Verona's team. They beat them 6-0, and we were talking about it off-air just before we came on at how good uh, Chalhanoglu's goal was in that game proper goal of season contender if you haven't seen it go check it out it's all over social sodas and also all over socials is Simone Inzaghi's jaw dropped expression mm. after the goal was scored 
So yeah, it feels like they're really starting to hit form at just the right time. So they are this season, and I think we alluded to it earlier. But now looking at this Champions League semi-final coming up against Milan, Sean, do you think Inter are favourites at this point because of this form, or still the same thought with Milan? I think you can't underestimate the momentum. You know, we talked a couple of pods ago about they bumped into Benfica at the right time. You know, Benfica team that have been doing really well this season but had that blip just before playing Inter and that kind of affected the way they played. We backed Milan because we thought that their performances against Napoli in the courses were so impressive. And we're not saying that they can't replicate that, but it does feel like Inter are now hitting a stride, definitely at least in an attacking sense, where it feels like they have the capacity to score three, four, five goals against anyone. And, you know, Romelu Lukaku is back in form. Lotaro Martinez is back in form. That Chahonolu go, you're right, I didn't see it until you sent it to me, but I did see your, the reactions of Inzaghi and Javier Zanessi in the stands. And that's how you know a, a goal is good when the reactions to the goal are the going as viral as much as the actual goal itself. And yeah, if that's what the Champions League is sometimes, you know, you don't have to be the best, you just have to beat the best. And if you can find your form, if you can pick and choose your moments, that's how you get to the latter stages. And now, I don't really want to write off Inter in this as much as I did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I think the main thing for Inter and the same way, the same reason why Milan have got so far in the Champions League this year is the right players hitting form at the right time. And it just feels like these Inter players are just hitting form at the right time. And the likes of, like you said, Lautaro Martinez and Lukaku hitting form, um, people forget how brilliant those two were together um, in that season under Conte when they went out and won Syria and it feels like with those two playing as well as they are right now and with a seasoned pro who can slot in as and when whenever and they need him in Jacko to come off the bench when say the Kaku's not performing or say the Kaku picks up an injury or whatever they have options there to score goals and they also have so much talent in the middle of the park. They have the best. They still have the best midfield in Italy by far. I think I don't think anyone comes close with the Barela, Brozovic, Kelhanoglu midfield trident. It is so well balanced and so good. And when I think the the main player in that team and who kind of makes that midfield really, really click is probably Hakan. Just because the other two are so consistent in their performance levels, whereas Hakan's more of a flair midfielder. And when, but when he can play really, really well, when his set piece delivery in particular, as his pinpoint has been in recent weeks, then that's when this under team can really, really fire and really, really challenge. And if he's like, you know, when you look at the other side of the draw as well, um, with City and Real Madrid, I think there is definitely a case to be made that. If Milan get to the final, you could probably see either of those teams potentially thumping that Milan team, just catching them, and I think particularly Man City. Whereas with Inter, maybe that game is a bit more enjoyable to watch and maybe mm. less sad because I feel <laughs> like a I feel like a Man City AC Milan uh, semi final uh, final sorry um, might be a quite a grim watch. So it would. I'm really excited for the semi-final. I really can't tell you. I think I'm more excited for this than the City-Real Madrid one because, just because we had that last year and I think City will get their revenge. But two games at San Siro, you know, two rising giants, two teams who have kind of waited so long for this kind of moment again. I'm really, really 
oh, I'm so excited for this game. Yeah, the, the atmosphere is going to be insane. It's yeah, it's going to be so good. Game. It's going to be so intense. So it is. So like many layers said, to it. Yeah, and like the Real Madrid Man City game probably can't be better than it was last season. Realistically, mm. like you're not, yeah. you can't get yeah, that exactly, level of drama yeah. two years it in a row. Though, whereas, yeah. yeah, whereas the Inter AC Milan, oh, two classic. Uh, European football teams coming up against each other in the semi-final in a derby. Like, can you imagine like Arsenal Spurs semi-final? Imagine your hype for that. Oh, uh, no, that's, yeah. no, no, we're not talking about that. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> um, but I, I hope UEFA don't do the thing that UEFA love to do and make them play in their away kits. I hope that they just say, look, you might not be able to sell the between red and blue, but you're going to have to do it. Just force it. Yeah, just it's, force AC Milan to wear white shorts right. or something. It's, uh, yeah, it's only right. It's only right that they play in their home kits, both of them. And they have to. It, it looks so cool. It looks so yeah. great. Fingers crossed, anyways. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So, Sean, number one with a bullet again this week and every other week and maybe every other week that we ever do this podcast is Manchester City. Of course. Of course, it's Manchester City. Um, they beat West Ham 3-0 on Wednesday night. They beat Fulham 2-1 at the weekend. I just remember that now. Um, Julian Alvarez scored an unbelievable goal in that game. Yeah, it was, incredible. Yeah. It was like he, he dinked over Leno, but it wasn't like a kind of delicate one. It was like proper kind of power. It was like, mm. wow, like an actual kind of shot. And then, of course, Erling Haaland is now the record goal scorer for goals in a single Premier League season. He's up to 35. Just, he could easily get to the 40 mark. I backed him to get to the 40 mark. It's it's a bit of a joke, really. It is. I'd be surprised if he didn't get the 40 mark. I'd be disappointed in Erdogan if he doesn't get the Yeah, 40 mark. I'm really judging if he doesn't get to 40 now. Actually. Yeah, it's not not that impressive if you don't get the 40, Erdogan. Come on, mate. Come on. Yeah. And it, one, one thing is worth mentioning probably as well with the Fulham game is on paper, 2-1-1, not as impressive as some of the other ones this season, but Brent Leno had an absolute stormer in that game. So he did. Yeah, he did, he was yeah. really fantastic, made a couple of unbelievable saves. That, that game could have very easily been 5 or 6-1, mm. if not for Brent Leno's performance. So Yeah, and th- there was also points in the game where, particularly between maybe 65 and 80 minutes, where you know, the, the crowd was really kind of annoyed by some of the decisions that they thought they could have, they could have had a couple of penalties. I don't think there was much in the appeals. I did. They weren't penalties, but you know there was City didn't look particularly sturdy. Edison didn't inspire a lot of confidence. Walker looked a bit shaky on his return to the team. There was potential, at least, for Fulham to kind of make more of an upset. They did at least score in this game. They they go and equalise in the first half, but City were just very professional about it. Just didn't let it get to them. Didn't let it, it kind of affect the decision making late on. And they enjoyed themselves at the end. There was a really, I think eight minutes were added on for a couple yeah. of injuries. And for about the last three of those minutes, Harlan and Foden just kept the ball in the corner. And it was quite, it was a good dark arts lesson, I think. And it's that kind of, they have now enough experience to go and win games like that might, they might be slightly under a caution. They can go and manage games a lot better than they have been before. So they have because they've had, They've had both sides of the coin. They've had the experience of winning the Premier League quite comfortably in a number of occasions. They've had the big title races with Liverpool. And they've also had the heartbreaks in the Champions League. So having the experience of all those things combined and learning from the mistakes in those things, but also learning from and improving upon what you've done well before, it seems like they've really Mm -hmm. done everything. I have one question for you, Sean, and it might be a wee bit left field, but I was thinking about Mm -hmm. it the other day. 
And I was thinking about it because of how uh, exacerbated uh, we Pep Guardiola looked pre-game before the game against Fulham. I feel like everyone else in the world would not have been as nervous looking and as tired looking as him before that game in a game that you would fully expect Man City to win. It felt for all the word that they were going to win regardless of who was playing, who was a manager or whatever. They were always going to win that game. Is there a world at the end of the season, if they won the treble, does Pep walk? Can you see that happening? I have actually been wondering this as well. And the only thing that I think is saying no to me is that it sounds like there's kind of contractual implications on things like Haaland's release clause with him when he when Pep signed a new deal last year. And so all of a sudden, it doesn't feel like Man City are as attractive place to go. I mean... Who would go there? Who do you who do you think would go to Man City if Pep were to leave this summer? I, I'm I'm with you. I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility, but I don't think we can completely take it off the table either. But I am trying. I'm think, struggling to think of who would be go there. Yeah, see, I was trying to think of this as well, and the only one I, I can really. I don't think it'd be Arteta. No, I can't see it being Arteta. I think he's too. Um, he'll be at Arsenal for a long time. I would imagine. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah. his club, and they're a big enough club as well. They keep him as well, so yeah, it's not to say he's at. Mm no harm West Ham or anything like there's like West Man City is a step up, but it's not like so obviously a step up that you would make it essentially. Um, The only one that really, really comes to mind and I think it's too early for him is Vincent company. It feels like company Mm -hmm. will be Man City manager at some point and he will make sense as Man City manager at some point, but it feels too early at this point, but it just, it, I think the reason, and I, I don't know if you're in the same boat as me, but the reason for me thinking of it is, Look, I know he signed that new contract relatively recently, but there's a lot of pressure in that role. There's a lot of games, and for how much he lives every single game and probably every single training session too as well. And you've seen the the Prime Video docuseries that they did and how active mm. and aggressive he is all the time about everything he does and how passionate he is about the game. Like That documentary was like, what, three, four years ago? And mm. he's still there and probably still acting and reacting to games in the same way. And I can't imagine how tired he <laughs> probably is right now and how yeah. emotionally and physically drained he is by it all. And if he goes out and wins the Champions League and wins the treble, will there be the appetite to go again next season? That's, that's I think? it. That's that's it. He he comes in, he he takes City's European glory, which is um what he was really brought in to do. And then he also does the treble at the expense of Man United, which is kind of a bonus. Yeah, it's it's the perfect way to end it. Like, how do you keep mm. going after that? And it feels like this current Man City team, I can't imagine this Man City team getting better next year. I know like people like Julian Alvarez and all will get better, but I just can't imagine with the way this team's built and how perfectly it's built with these players in the in the system right now. I just can't envisage this team ever getting better, and maybe, maybe he will think the same way, or maybe he won't because he's Pep. But well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, I think part of it is that it, do you think that he's looking over at Liverpool and thinking, I don't want to get to the point that they're at, where I need to do this rebuild, and it means that we have to slide down the table and out of the Champions League. But the other thing I think, you know, maybe it's a bit kind of foolish to say this about a team that's probably the best team in the world right now by far, but there is at least a clear re- few reasons why they won't be as good next season. You know, 
you think Gundogan's probably going to go to Barcelona on a free transfer. Bernardo Silva probably still wants to leave. Kevin De Bruyne just is getting older. I know they've been kind of resting a bit more this season, but when he's played, he's been really good still. But how long can he really keep doing that? You just imagine that at some point, another player will have like a key injury. So there is still quite a bit of... They'll have to bring in a few more players, and it seems like they're not going to get Bellingham. So you do wonder who this player is going to be. Are they going to be as good as Gundogan and Silva? Because I think the thing that struck, struck me last night... You get this a few times when you watch City every now and then, particularly against teams that they're just much better than. The level of technical control they have and the just ability to sweep up all these second balls, all these loose balls, just to keep the ball when you think that it shouldn't be possible outside the realms of a video game is unbelievable. And I'm with you. I don't know how long Pep can really keep doing this mentally. It does feel like he might need another sabbatical. <laughs> you know, four years at Barcelona, he went away to New York for a year. Yeah, I, I I'd agree. I think, and it those names that you listed off. Yes, they're not players who play every single game for Man City. But how do you replace in those big games? How do you replace Gundogan, for example, mm. who's a leader for that team, scores so many big goals for them, is the penalty taker most of the time. It's just such a consistently good player. And then also Bernardo Silva, who doesn't need a run of games to come in and do a really great job. You'll have. Mares play a few games and Bruno Silva will pop in and play a few games and play really well and then Mares will do the same and yeah, it's going to be hard for them to find A, players as good as those but also players as good as those that don't have the ego they constantly want to play every single game. I think there is a trade-off they sign in for Man City where you know that like Ruben Diaz is such a good example of it where there might be a season where you just don't play yeah. <laughs> and that'll just yeah. that'll just be Pep's thinking. He'll just not play yeah. you for a season, and then the season after, you'll be back in the team. You'll be the main guy at the heart of the fence, and you'll play every game and be regarded as one of the best in the world again. But then maybe the season after, he won't play. And yeah. it's just yeah. it's that trade off of your career of like, you know, you'll become a much better player under Pep, but you won't play as much. Um, you'll play at a higher level under, level under Pep, but you also won't play at that level as much because you're not playing mm. as many games and stuff. And um, I think it's going to be really, really difficult to find players that they can get that much out of. And also for value, there's plenty of midfielders like doing the rounds at the minute. There's plenty of midfielders mainly being linked with Liverpool. But when you look at those list of players and you look at a player like Gundogan, the only one that made sense is being potentially good enough um, and consistent enough to replace Gundogan was probably Jude Bellingham. Whereas when you look at, like, if Man City go out and sign Ryan Gravenberch, for example, as their replacement for Gundogan, you know, it's hard to imagine him being as good as Gundogan has. Because, yeah. look, there's probably a reason why two managers have come to Bayern Munich this season, why Gravenberch has been there, and he hasn't been favoured by either. And things like that. There's stuff like that weighing on a lot of players around the market. Whereas, you know, Man City need a higher level player to replace a guy like Bernardo Silva, to replace a guy like Eklai Gundogan. And it's hard to see who those players are right now. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I feel like Gundogan's a bit underrated in that regard. You know, he's had, he's had a couple of really serious injuries throughout his career. He's been a real, the ability to keep up so late in his career and redefine himself and make himself nearly undroppable. Like he is starting every single big game for City. Um, really, really impressive. And I think that's such a, could be such a big loss and such a gain for Barcelona to get maybe one or two 
years out of him. I think it's going to be so good for them. Yeah. Like I was saying earlier about trying to find someone who you can take a wee bit of creative load off of Pedri. Mm. Gundogan's mm. perfect guy for that and also has a bit of experience as well, which is what Barca and I need of too. So yeah, yeah could, be, could be all changed at Man City. But for now, anyways, they're the best team Enjoy in the world. Enjoy the ride. Yep. They'll be top of the power rankings for quite a while unless yeah. something happens in the semi-finals, which were do you find out oh, quite oh, big, soon? Big Sam, yeah, big Sam this weekend, you know. I'm big Sam this weekend. Yeah, we could see Leeds United in this very, very soon. <laughs> <laughs> if they're as good as he bowls them up to be, which I'm not sure they are, but you never know. Mm. Stranger things have happened. Mm. Bayer Leverkusen run it last week. Marseille run it this week. You know, we, we, we do put some different teams in this sometime. But Sean, will we call it there? Will we call it a day? Yeah, let's do so, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Good, good timing this week. Yeah, yeah. But shorter this week. Nice. But mm. but streamlined. We're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. Yeah. We're down past the less than uh, feature length film at this point, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. Down down under 90 minutes. So we'll call it there. Uh, thanks very much for listening again. If you haven't, uh, please give us a wee like on whatever podcast platform you're on. Give us a re- review as well. So long as it's a good one. Uh, we don't want bad reviews, but if you think we're <laughs> think if you're enjoying yourself and you like this, give us a good review. Uh, four stars or above, particularly if you're going to give us a five star review, go for it. And we will catch you next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.